Hello and welcome to Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. Our goal at Owl Pellets is to help agriculture teachers like you find research-based solutions to the problems you face every day in the middle and high school classroom and as you advise your FFA chapters. Here you will find practical tips for your agriculture classroom and interesting information to incorporate into your teaching. We invite the best agricultural education faculty and researchers from around the country to come and talk with us and share what they have learned. The Owl Pellets crew is Kate Shoulders from the University of Arkansas, Marshall Baker from North Carolina State University, and me, Brian Myers from the University of Florida. For more information on Owl Pellets, please be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And visit our webpage at owlpelletsfrag.wordpress.com. All right, Owl Pellets, this is, this is Marshall, Kate, and Brian here by the Owl Pellets. We are here still with some phenomenal ag teachers from around the country here at the NAAE conference in beautiful San Antonio, Texas. We're here to talk about teacher resilience this time. So teacher resilience. So one of the big things we talked about, um, I can remember early on a wise person that I worked with, Ed Osborne, one of his favorite quotes when describing agricultural education said, Ag Ed is a profession that eats its own young. <laughs> so for like the velociraptor. <laughs> right. Um, so we're gonna talk about teacher resiliency, what is it, what do we do with it? Marshall Baker, get us kicked off here talking about teacher resilience and uh, we've got a great infographic that goes out for folks to talk about what, what are some of the major questions we need to focus on during our conversation today. Well, we've got a lot of teachers and teacher educators and supporters all around the room and I think this might be the single biggest challenge, one of the biggest challenges we face. I think all of our ag teachers changed our lives profoundly. But I think when I was in an ag classroom, I look at students that I prepare to teach. In fact, I'm looking at you right now. Um, and if I'm being honest, as I prepare them for their job, and they ask me questions about the job, it is very difficult to look them in the eyes and say, this is a job that's going to provide a lot of balance. Um, because if you want to be good and you want to help everybody, it just is a massive job. And as a principal of a junior high, to see the teacher have to meet my demands as a school, and then also the demands of parents and support groups, it's a tough, tough gig. So this idea of teacher resilience, I think is key. And, and today we can, I'm excited to hear from teachers and dive into what is the answer? We can't continue to ask for you to do more with less. And so resilience and how does the teacher bounce back is really key. So um, let's just open that up with a question. Um, there's a lot of research of when the resilience curve crashes. And so let's start there. Like, What do you think is that life cycle of a teacher? When does the resilience curve start to crash or does it? And how do you re-energize that resilience? Tell us about your rock bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I think I felt it around year eight. Um, I like made it well, and I had switched schools twice before that, so it could happen earlier if we stayed in the same place. But I that was the first time I remember waking up and not wanting to go to school, and it was really hard. 
um, and I I struggled with it. Um, and I the thing that I feel like I'm on the upswing now, and I went through the Accelerate program through, from NAAE last year, and I'm facilitating this year. And I think what it took was permission and intentional time to reflect on practice and on the struggles and identifying supporters. And I don't think we take that time by guide teachers um, to, or even give ourselves permission to have the conversation. So in this like journey that I was taking without another conference with another ag teacher who everyone in our state thought they were had it all together, winning teams, great program, awards, and they shared with me they've been applying for positions outside of Ag Ed. And that, we don't give ourselves permission to have that conversation often because we hide behind those CDE banners and our kids that we push to the front of the stage and a lot of everybody think everything's great, um, but we need to be more open as a profession with each other and have those conversations. That's what it takes. So I thought maybe you guys had ESP and that's how you knew the struggle going on in the Arizona teachers. I am the president-elect. I was the um, outstanding first-year teacher, the young member. Our program got the um, first place, the um, multi-teach program last year. Um, did I mention president-elect? Yes. Okay, so all of these wonderful accolades and about a month ago I was calling it resume days. <laughs> ready to do anything but teach ag. I'm a third generation Arizona native that grew up on a cattle ranch. I love, I don't know what I love more than agriculture, um, and I was ready to be done. And as I got to talking to uh, other teachers, quality teachers that, yeah, one of them had five state winning teams this year. Others, same thing, first year teacher, young member, outstanding programs, look to for leadership, um, ready to hang it up. Teachers that have written the check to buy out of their contracts. So we are at our midwinter state meeting because we have three CD state, CD state contracts here, which is one thing we're trying to address. But we're going to have a panel. Um, and those people that everybody thinks have it all together and are doing amazing, that we are really struggling. And so when I saw teacher resilience on here, I was like, oh, amen, because there's some things in there. Um, it is it is not our, from what I've observed, it is not our phoned in teachers, the ones that do a marginal job that are struggling. It is the rock star teachers that we are losing. And we hit that five-year mark, and they're gone. And they don't have come back. So, um, it, and we have to have the permission. I was going to get it from front of everybody at Midwinter State until I quit. So interesting, like what you're sharing, the first thing that comes to my mind is this topic and the infographic that we're looking at, I'm immediately trying to source the problem. You Me know? too. So it's I'm like, looking at these muscles. Like, oh, yeah. It's like, yeah. Which is like, what's the workout plan? You know, and I think that's where when we look at the research, trying to get better at how that works. Is it the physical, the sleep, the rest, water, nutrition? I mean, I think we can name a lot of those problems that we all had, I had as an ag teacher. Mental, play, connection, thinking, relaxing. You know, I know as an ag teacher, I found it very rare for me to just, you know, the principal would always say, you need to be mastering your craft. And like, what are you reading these days? And I'm like, <laughs> 
Um, the emotional, which is gratitude, closure, and decluttering. You know, it always takes one good parent meeting where you've worked your butt off and the parent wants to destroy you over something. That one meeting can really take a hit. Um, or when a kid says, you've changed my life, it can really build the resilience. And then the fourth was spiritual, service, volunteer, looking for meaning in your job. So, you know, it's interesting as we think about teachers, the really good ones that are at that spot, I wonder in terms of resilience from the literature, what is it in those four areas, physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual, that people struggle? See, now, I would kind of argue that, because um, I see in what you were saying, Bridget, that it's a little bit of all of them, but it goes back to those muscles, the muscles of personal resilience, and it's positive, positivity, confidence, priorities, creative connection, structure, and experimenting. Priorities. If you don't prioritize yourself, and instead you constantly are prioritizing your students, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but like if you're the motor that runs all of that, you've got to maintain the motor. And so, you know, that if you're not maintaining that priority of yourself, it touches into physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual because you are neglecting all of those. Um, I left the profession at six years. Um, I had one outstanding young member. And that was that NAAE award promoted to, you know, keep young people in the profession. And a job came up in state leadership, and I left the profession. Not the Agged family, because I was still serving Agged, but I left teaching. And um, what happened is four years later, I realized that I missed the students. I missed seeing the spark in their eyes. I missed helping them grow. And I wanted to get back into the classroom. And when I came back, um, I started practicing the word no, and it was a word that I did not use early in my profession, and it's a word that's still very foreign to me, um, but I had to start saying no. And just recently, I, I was the chair of a committee that I loved at work. It was called the Sunshine Committee, and um, it spread boost morale at work, and that was my role. And another teacher, I heard her one day say, hey, I'd be willing to do that if you want to let go. And there was the opportunity, and I let go, and a lot of other people had said, why'd you do it? And I'm now the voice at school that says, because I had to clear my plate and take care of me in order to be able to take care of others. And that's not easy. And, you know, I struggle with sleep. Um, Rachel and I were just talking about it. I don't really know how to sleep. But otherwise, you know, I find ways that I take care of me. I had to deal with, I'm sorry, I had to deal with the situation my husband was sick, sick, terminally sick for six years. And, but I, I have, I've taught nine, so it was like I was just getting answered and just getting some things figured out. I've taught third game, so I've done lots of other things, but it was, I was in this latter part of my career. But he needed total care. And so it was one of those things, I kind of one of those really heavy-handed, I take care of things, I'll do it. If I want it, it's my idea, I'll take care of it, I'll stay through the direction. It just, it could not happen. But I didn't want to second-rate my program. So I had to ask for help, and that was super hard. But it was kind of, I always kind of put it that it was kind of God's intervention because otherwise he would not, you know, I had to be home at 3 o'clock because my caregiver had to leave. Somebody had to be there to do some stuff in the evening. So I had to have faith in those people. And by doing so, it gave them that feeling of, of being important and being a part. And then their kids became a part. And, and things just, and, and Marshall and I were just talking about, I didn't miss a tap. You know, things just continued to go. But it was because I had to let somebody else help me. And now, he's passed away, so I have all this time, and I'm thinking, you know, because I'm trying to readjust. I still need the help 
and I have to allow myself to do that. But I think we think we have to we're on boat all ourselves. If I come up with this idea, I've got to carry it through, and there will be people that will help you. See, I've thought this recently. I've been telling my students that you know they they struggle with adulting and they think that being an adult is is time management. Like, how do you balance all the plates? And I started telling them, actually, that's young adulthood. Real adulting is when you recognize that you cannot balance all the plates and you have to give them up. It's not learning how to balance all of them. It's learning which ones you should not be balancing. All right. Okay. Okay. So, well, I thought for 28 years, and a program that's been you know, very successful. I've had some pretty low years where it's like, I can't do this anymore. But we've kind of, we've gotten in our school to what we call relationship-based relationships, or uh, education. And it's, uh, a study I read recently was, uh, successful schools are based on the teachers are the most successful and they have the best relationships with the other teachers. And I feel like that's true also within our ag ed field. Uh, you know, within our other teachers that we know in, in the state, we get together. You know, we drink a lot of beer. I'm sure a lot of those issues. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I think, those are, I think the, the, the eighth muscle could be beer. <laughs> and, but I think that's that emotional part. And building a relationship with other teachers in your building and with, you know, the students, obviously and your administrators. Probably the most important thing I did three years ago is I just said to my superintendent, I said, hey, you know how things are going. You think it's great, but I'm not going to do this anymore if I don't get in the system. You know, small one teacher programs. I didn't even say or I'm going to be gone. So he said, okay, what do you want? Joking about beer, but that's letting the guard down. Like, honestly, so you're giving that, that permission yeah. to spill your guts and not feel like a baby about it. So you're blaming on the alcohol, but... <laughs> And I think the piggyback that I was going to, not to diss on Foods 2007, but I think that one of the muscles that's missing is is um, reflection. And you mentioned it earlier, and that's kind of what you're talking to. And I think it's I think it's a thing that all teachers, we've talked about this in our teacher improvement meetings, is we do not reflect. We teach a lesson, we go to the next lesson, maybe 20 days later we might think about it for a minute, but we, do we truly reflect on what we're doing and why we're doing it? And I think that's what happens when you get together with other ag teachers or other teachers is you begin to reflect and and then sometimes those aha moments come to help you maintain resilience. Um, I'm here just to maybe throw a little bit of you on fire. Yes. <laughs> this conversation might be a little archaic to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of the conferences I go to, they talk about millennials and generation Xers or whatever they are, and how the whole culture of people coming through a workforce is changing. And to stay in a career, and if, if our goal here in this conversation is keep, to keep teachers in ag education for 30 years or in the same school for a certain amount of time, I don't think that's a valid conversation. And I think that if we've got rock star teachers and they're there for five years kicking the crud out of things, and then they move on, so be it. Get the next rock star in there. It's just like a race. You're, you're moving on. You're moving forward. And I think to try to pigeonhole people to say, "Hey, you need to figure out a way to keep stay a teacher." I'm like, I don't think so. Not for not for a lot of people. And I think maybe if we change the perception and the discussion a little bit, we can focus on the more important aspect of this conversation rather than how do we keep our teachers, ag teachers? How do we keep good ag teachers 
doing what they want to do, and those that don't, let's get some of you to fill their shoes. Well, I think it's important to talk about, we're talking about teacher resilience, not teacher retention, because of that very same thing right there. Yeah. It's about helping people to where to be the best about where they are, not keeping them where they are. Well, I think that's really important, because a lot of, you know, times we talk about, why did this teacher leave? I think if a teacher's ready to move on to something bigger and better or different because they want to, great, go on. But sometimes we have teachers leave because they can't take it yeah, your statement about who you work with and how you work with them is the number one most important. Absolutely. Research coming out of Harvard or wherever it is, and showing the same thing your leadership, support, and your, your um, collaboration with your peers. I think it's interesting. Young teachers, so um, you know, my, my experience is fairly limited, but in talking with those older um, active teachers who have been doing it for a long time, when you ask them their favorite memorable moments, it's not the accolades, it's not the banners. It's that's not what they recall. It's those moments in the classroom that they have this very unique relationship with a student. And so I think it's interesting that we we think that the accolades that we give out to teachers are a way of trying to retain them or to try to, and it, it doesn't work. Uh, it's not an effective uh, means of trying to um, keep those teachers resilient. So I think that's interesting because as a young teacher, I feel like I'm constantly pushed to apply for those things. You know, great. Well, it's, but it's not really the basis. I didn't start into this profession. None of us did because you wanted to go win accolades or uh, any of those things. And so I think that's, it, it's almost counterproductive. It's, it's that difference between resilience and retention. We feel like it's in everyone's best interest for those to win accolades, but uh, Ms. Begay, you know, mentioned that she's had all kinds of accolades, but that's not what keeps her in the profession. Um, so I think that's an interesting concept too, to, to think as a young teacher, I want those things. No, that's really not what I want. I want those great relationships with students, and that's why we continue to do that. I think that's so true. The only reason I apply for any accolades is so Brian and Marshall will be the crap about it. <laughs> I want to agree and disagree with the gentleman over here that uh, talked about that. One of the things we struggle with in, in Wisconsin is that we there are so many awards that people can win and people really push for those awards. Um, but some of the best advice I got from my A teacher was don't go into it for that. Go into it because it's different every day. It's different every year. There's a lot of variety. And we shouldn't um, expect people to stay in, a, stay in the same job for 30 years. Even if you're at the same school for 30 years, that job's going to change because you're going to do future firm, you're going to do aquaculture, you're going to do whatever. And those things are going to change. You shouldn't be afraid to change. Um, so you really, what we're struggling with is that seven-year teacher, and and we lost, and we have lost. We have a lot of young teachers and a lot of older teachers, and we've lost that middle ground. And so we're trying to maintain them, and what we're doing is we're trying to work with resilience um, through a couple different programs we do through Star TJ. But um, the th message we keep giving them is, you know, do what's right for you, create that balance, um, and but you but don't you know don't do it because you want to do it, do it because it's the right thing for you. And if we've tried to talk teachers out of out of leaving, and then they just said it's not right for me. And in the end, when you look back on it, you say, you know what, it was the best thing for you to go. You know, and some of those teachers come back and teach again. Yeah. I would like to say, as a teacher who's there, and when you talk, it makes me teary eyed because I know you, and I won't get emotional, but I think we're at a point in the profession where it's nerve wracking and scary that we got into this profession for the right reasons. Um, and from my perspective and my cohorts, we got into it because we were active in FFA and we liked. Being involved in an organization that was separate, where you got to meet people from across the state or across the nation and be involved. And I started coming to NAAE last year, so I'm not that long. But last year was my first year, and 
I came to it because the year before I was broken and I was just like, I need something. I don't know if I can make it to the studio. And I think that's what NAA does. Um, I'm now at a point where do I want to go to grad school? Do I want to do something different? Is teaching ag in a high school environment? <laughs> And are we, we've had this conversation a lot, are we more valuable in a support role? Because I think right now what I need, and I'm at five years at the exact same school, um, I compare myself to Marty a lot, and we work at conference together in the summer where my perspective is slightly different because I've been at the same school, and you get rejuvenated when you leave and go somewhere else, and there are pros and cons to both sides that you have to consider. Um, but right now, I need the support. And when we talked about what we talked about yesterday in the summit, some of those things, how we can properly support our teachers and move agricultural education forward as a whole, and when we talk about why we're doing it, why are we doing it, we're doing it to save agriculture. We're doing it to advocate for agriculture. And FFA is that really great opportunity that's a hook for our kids, and we love it, and they love it, and so it's a great opportunity um, for them to be involved on a different level. And I think that support is what we need. And I think you need that at your five, I think you need it at your eight, you need it at your 20, because another conversation I had yesterday, if you're at 20 years and you're burned out, you don't want the young pup to run the organization, but you don't want to run it either. So who's going to run it? Who's going to help and support your teachers? Who's going to keep the mentality and the morale at the level it needs to be to be successful? I think one of the big things you talked about there was the idea of support. Mm -hmm. My guess is that each and every one of us can go back in our minds and reflect and think about that one or two people who helped you get through that tough time. I know that I stayed teaching just because of uh, Ben Spore and Lucinda Koontz, who were the industrial arts and business teacher at my school, because I had the day where I beat the buses out of the parking lot and I was done during year one. I and I and I've had. I cannot have a son named Dylan, because that's more if you if I have a son named Dylan or Dylan, I'm sorry. That name still runs a chill through my spine, but I was done. And Ben knew enough to come to my house about 30 minutes later and say, I've been there. And this was a guy who'd been teaching for 574 years. <laughs> um, and kind of, and he listened. And he respected that first year teacher and said, What you're feeling is real. Now, luckily, in the position, this is not my first day, right? Case that I've been doing this. I didn't say it. That's all joke. But sometimes we have to be the one that receives that support, and sometimes we have to be the one that gives the support. And and those of us that, that may have a few more years, you're the ones that may have to find that, reach out to that person and give them that kind of a support to do that. Um, but even if you are year 20 or 21, like some of us, you can still have to get that support. You have to find that group, and maybe somebody younger than you, maybe somebody older than you, but that person that you can kind of count to keep your squad going to make to make that kind of thing happen. I think that is, is so important to get to that next level and understanding that about why we're doing those things. But it all begins with we have to admit to ourselves that we need support, that we need help, and it's okay not to do everything. I think it kind of goes back to what Toby was saying. I think we're talking about two different types of teachers. Chris, you kind of alluded to this. Um, there are teachers who this career is not right for them. 
and that's okay. And then there's this other group of teachers where the career is right, but they feel pushed out. They want to do it, but for whatever reason, they cannot do it because it doesn't allow them to uh, maintain what they need to for themselves. And so it's really two types of teachers, right? Retention isn't necessarily, as you said, Toby, if it's not right for you, it, you know, nobody wants their kid in the class where the teacher knows they don't want to be teaching. But there's this other group, and this is kind of what you were talking about, with like, I want to teach, I love teaching, and I feel like I can't right now because of these barriers. And that's where I think resilience comes in. Okay, so I'm teacher number two that you just talked about. I taught for 18 years, love my job every single day. A year and a half ago, I left. I could not take the demands anymore. FFA demands are out of control. FFA demands, principal demands, superintendent, industry certification demands. All the demands were on me, and I didn't know who me was. So I left. So I took a role with Farm Bureau doing industry certification, and now my whole job is to make the ag teacher life easier. And I, I mean, I still am crazy me and drive to the Panhandle and then to Miami to make it easier for teachers. And I really feel like I'm still engaged and active and I'm taking some of that crazy stress away, but I miss those kids every day. So I will probably go back. But the demands and the plates, I felt I couldn't get rid of and still be effective. And it becomes so overwhelming that you leave. And that's bad. So again, I don't know how to manage it other than to find support to take some of those other pressures away from the principal when what you're reading like, and the, you know, the, the everything that's demanding. So I, I, I've survived year seven and eight. I'm in year eleven, but I remember back to year seven and eight. And I'm, I, I'm a high achiever. I, I like to achieve. And we talked about awards and that sort of thing. But it was kind of year seven where I had to make change. And change is something that also drives growth mindset. And and change is okay. And, and I think we need to give ourselves permission sometimes to make a change. And to say, even though I am an achiever, even though I, you know, I do want to do everything and be involved in everything and achieve, 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 it's okay to change and say, I'm not going to do these things for my sake, you know, so that I so that I can focus on these muscles and instead, I guess. Y'all, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Um, and I, I think it's important that we continue to think about teacher resilience. And, and to me, the key, where I really got excited when, when this idea of teacher resilience was first talking to me about it, it was like, we understand there are going to be days that just suck. And that's gonna happen and that's okay. And it's about how do you how do you make it through that? How do you build that team of support around you? How do you be that person that's going to be support? I really encourage folks to look at this infographic to look about how to strengthen your teacher resilience. Look at those things. Look about how to build those seven teacher resiliency muscles. Look at some of the other information that's out there. And we've got to take care of ourselves. Just a couple weeks ago at our, our faculty meeting back at the University of Florida, I, I reminded our faculty that it is not a contest to who dies with the most unused vacation days. <laughs> and, you know, we have to take care of ourselves. And I think you go back there and, you know, about the FA demand. I can still remember there was a time I served on the National State Board of Directors, on the National State Foundation. I was doing all that kind of stuff. I thought I was doing the things that needed to be important. I was frustrated. 
And my New Year's resolution that year, one of the New Year's resolutions was to lose my status on Delta Airlines. Because I was done traveling. People looked at me like I was crazy and said, Brian, there's no way you're going to make tenure. You're going to fail in your career. You're not going to make it well. Maybe I am a failure, but I'm here in front of you today to do that. You've got to take care of yourself because you're going to, and that, that's the biggest issue. Because as somebody that has told me about it, there is study after study, the most important thing in the classroom is you. You make the biggest difference in the lives of your students. And you've got to take care of yourself, and you've got to make sure that you are the best you can be to be the best for those students. And the part of this is understand how to get through those tough times and do these kind of different kind of tools. Pro tip from the teachers behind you, they said the best way to do it is just call in sick on fruit that day. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the assholes rotting. <laughs> So, with that great tip, we all thank you all very much for the great conversation. We had a great group of ag teachers here. So, for Marshall, Kate, this is Brian here from the Alpella here in beautiful San Antonio, Texas. Marshall's still trying to recruit on the clock for us. <laughs> you all have a great time, and go Gators. Elevate your ability to impact the world with an advanced degree in agricultural education and communication from the University of Florida. Our faculty and staff are committed to provide our graduate students with a premier education both online and on campus, equipping you with the tools needed to strengthen the agriculture and natural resources industries. We're empowering agriculturalists who will become the next educators, the next communicators, and the next leaders for the Gator Good. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Please visit our webpage for more information on this topic and to learn more about all of our guests. Be sure to follow Owl Pellets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It would also be great for you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, we ask that you please take a moment and comment on our podcast so others can find it as well. So for Kate and Marshall, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thanks and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets. Tips for Ag Teachers.